All right, welcome back to another episode of the Laravel Podcast. It's been a little while. We've been missing all of you. We've been missing each other. We're excited to be back in the swing of things, and Laracon's coming up soon. There's a lot of new products to talk about. we got a lot on our plates. Before we get started, hi, I'm your host, Matt Stauffer. Guys, can you introduce yourselves? I am Jeffrey Way. And I'm Taylor Otwell. So there's been some great new stuff coming out recently. We've got Valet, Echo, Laracon. We got 5.3 coming out soon, and we want to talk a little bit about Spark. So first thing we're going to start with is Valet. So it's been out for a few weeks at this point. It seems like the development on it has stabilized a little bit. And uh, Taylor, I know you and Adam were actually on the Laravel News Podcast, but for folks who don't listen to that, can you give us the elevator pitch for Valet and why it's valuable and why you added it when Homestead already exists. What's what's kind of the, the soul behind Valet? Yeah, so Homestead is a really great development environment because it gives you that full Ubuntu sort of production environment feel. The only downside to Homestead is it uses quite a bit of memory. And especially if you're on like a small, let's say like a new MacBook with only maybe eight gigs of RAM. You know, already two of that is probably going to be allocated to Homestead. So you're using quite a bit of memory and it takes a little while to boot up. And it's just, you know, it's just a little slower in your web requests and stuff. And I was actually talking to uh, Adam Wathen about, you know, he doesn't actually use Homestead, which actually blew my mind. Um, And he said he just uses PHP Artisan Serve. And I was like, so you just run that every time you want to try a project. And he's like, yeah, it works great. That's what I do. And I said, you know, the only downside to that is, you have to run PHP Artisan Serve every time you switch projects, you know, and, and close out your old server and start up a new one. And I said, that kind of sucks. It'd be cool if they could just always all be serving using some kind of local server without setting up like a full Nginx or a full Apache or anything like that. So we actually hacked on a valet. For, I think it took us about four or five days to get uh, the final version out, which installs on Mac. It configures a little daemon that starts up a little local web server. And uh, all your sites are just always available using sort of you can what's called park a path where every folder in that directory is available on like folder name dot dev in your browser automatically. So if you do like Laravel new blog and then hit blog dot dev, it's just up and running. You don't have to do any additional configuration. And it, the web server itself only uses about seven or eight megabytes of RAM. And then you just add on whatever database uh, system you want. So you can uh, use Brew to install MySQL or use Postgres app or whatever you want. So it's a really light and fast development environment. And I actually have a, a little 12-inch MacBook that I use Valet on. And it runs great because it's only using, you know, including MySQL, it's only using maybe 100 megs total of RAM instead of like 2 gigs. Um, so it's just a really nice option for people. If you don't always need the full power of Homestead or a full Ubuntu box and you're just doing PHP and MySQL, then Valet is really, I think, a, a faster, better option than setting up an entire virtual environment. It's pretty crazy, I have to say. I was um, I, I learned about this a couple of weeks ago when you guys were working on it. But then yesterday I was recording a Laracast video. And as I was covering all the steps, I found myself almost getting giddy again because it, it's kind of ridiculous. If if anyone listening here hasn't hasn't tried it out, like you can park a surfer, have a domain set up, have a new Laravel app installed, have SSL set up, and then also have a shareable link that you can put on Slack or Telegram. And this is all in the span of like 20 seconds. It, it's crazy. So definitely try it out. I think you're going to um, be addicted very quickly. If, if anybody has missed it, the one caveat we've got, well, there's a couple caveats. And one of the caveats is that, uh, you know, everything's running off your local server. So if you're really concerned with having perfect parity on a particular project with the, the remote environment, um, then you'll still probably end up wanting to use a Vagrant box, something like Homestead, 
Um, and the other caveat is this is for Mac users. And so I, I think there's probably a strong chance that if someone were to want to build one of these for Linux users, it'd be possible just because they have similar kind of apt get type stuff. Um, I doubt Windows users are ever, ever going to get anything like this. Um, so Homestead still definitely has its uses. There's, it's not like Homestead is gone. There's even a section in the docs that says, you know, why would you use Valet, Valet versus Homestead? Um, but it's a new tool in the arsenal. And, and especially we've had so many people just say, you know what, you know, I've been using this MacBook for ages or I wanted to get this like kind of MacBook, but I couldn't do it because of RAM problems. I remember some people who worked on a project with us where we had two vagrant boxes and PHP Storm and, you know, something else open and they literally just couldn't program. And people saying now, like with Valet, instead of, you know, two, three gigs of, of RAM to run something, it's now a couple megabytes. I mean, that's a pretty significant impact in your in your your um, your application and your computer's running. So. And behind the scenes, it's running um, a cool little web server called Caddy, which is written in Go. And what's nice about it is we can get SSL certificates using Caddy. So and then it, you get the green bar because we trust it on your Mac, and then we can untrust it when you unsecure it. So you can actually just run things like Valet Secure and get instant SSL. But the whole the Caddy server is a really cool little project, which really helped us accomplish Valet because it's just a single binary we can drop in a directory. So we can actually bundle it up with the valet package um, on GitHub and actually download this whole little web server in a single file, which supports SSL and uh, or TLS, I guess you're supposed to say now, and HTTP2. And so that's a really cool little uh, server. So go check that out too, if you haven't seen it. Uh, so in terms of the drivers with valet, Caddy's taking all the requests and then it's sending it to a kind of a front front processor or front controller processor that sniffs the directory in some ways and checks for certain things to figure out which driver it should be using to serve. Um, so that's just a PHP file, right? I haven't actually gotten a chance to dig too deeply into those. That's just a PHP file with some rules about how to identify what kind of uh, what kind of site it is. Yeah, so there's a caddy receives a request and then proxies all the requests to the server.php file, which then spins through a list of driver classes and it asks each driver, do you serve this request? And how the driver figures that out is it says... Um, you know, is the directory that's trying to be served, does it have, for example, a wp-admin directory, which would be a WordPress installation? Or does it have an artisan file, which would be a Laravel? So it's they're able to spin through and say like, okay, this looks like a project I serve. And we sort of have specific checks for each driver where like a cake driver might check for, I forget what they have, like a cake slash bin or bin slash cake file. And then we say, okay, so we're going to dispatch the request to this driver. And then that driver loads up the front controller of that framework, either it's WordPress or Laravel or Zend, and it how it needs to be loaded. So typically that's like a public.index.php file. But some some frameworks or especially like WordPress, they just have the index.php in the main sort of root directory because you're supposed to be able to, to drop it on any shared host, basically. So uh, that's loaded a little differently. And every, I mean, lots of CMSs have little different quirks on how you have to load them. So that's actually one of the big perks of Ballet Valet is that you can just drop a Statomix site or a WordPress site or a Craft site or a Zend or a Laravel, and it just works without any specific Nginx configuration on your part. So that's really nice because it seems like every CMS or framework has one little nitpicky Nginx rule that you have to have to make it work right. Mm -hmm. And this just sort of eliminates all of that. Let's say I have some CMS or something and there isn't a driver for Valet. If I wanted to create one, is is that pretty easy? Yep. So what you do is in your uh, once you install Valet, there's a in your home directory, there's a hidden dot valet folder. And within that folder, there's a drivers directory. And there's actually a sample driver.php in there that's just empty and stubbed out to show you what to do. But you just fill in, I think it's only two methods you have to fill in, like serves and 
load front controller or something like that. And you can have your own driver just like that. And that'll be the same thing like return file exists artisan or something like that. Very, very cool. Yeah. It's also one of those things where it sounds good and then you use it. And just like Jeffrey was saying, I mean, you know, he, he knew the thing existed, but there's just something about using it and seeing how many steps are removed from the process and how fast it is and how easy it is. Like I remember I had installed it when the guys were first developing it and I've just had a really busy couple of weeks working the book and getting sick and moving and stuff like that. So I did my first development in like three weeks and I was like spinning up PHP artisan serve and I was like serving and I was like, wait a minute, don't I have valet running? And so I just typed in, you know, the folder name that I was in dot dev figuring, oh, it won't work. I don't have it. And it just worked. And I was like, this is, this is brilliant. <laughs> like this makes me so happy. Yeah, I mean, especially coming from, like, I've used Vagrant and, and Homestead for a couple of years now. So to be able to say Laravel new foo and then immediately go to foo.dev in the browser, it'll get you excited every single time. And especially yeah. Homebrew makes this a lot easier now. Like Homebrew, it's brew.sh if you want to go to it. Um, it's been around for a long time, but especially on the PHP side, it's a lot easier to use now. Like, so you can install PHP 7 directly. Before, you'd have to find, like, a custom formula and add it to Brew, Homebrew. So it was a little more confusing, but now it's all integrated. So that, that side of the deal, like getting MySQL or PHP or Encrypt, any of those extensions set up, that's really easy now. Yeah, this is kind of like the perfect time for this, right? Because, like, in the past, some of these things used to be a lot more complex. And it's, sometimes it's really helpful to have people come along who haven't dealt with the crappy old ways of doing it because <laughs> they can now see that maybe things are a little bit easier. Maybe it's a lot uh, it's, it's a lot better now. So cool. So that's it for Laravel Valet. Um, so there's another product name that came out recently, which is Laravel Echo. And so Laravel Echo might sound a little familiar to you if you looked at it a little bit. It's It has you know ties to the um, event broadcasting and um, pusher and WebSockets and everything like that. But it's it's a new way of doing it. So uh, who wants to who wants to talk about Echo? Taylor. <laughs> yeah, I can explain it. Um, so we've had event broadcasting in Laravel, which is where you can fire an event on your server and basically hear it on your client. And that was all uh, sort of working via Pusher or Redis and Socket IO. And it works great, like in 5.1 and 5.2, but there's still some like... Um, it just wasn't as good as it could be. And I had had things on my to-do list for a while. Like uh, Pusher has this functionality where you can fire an event, but not let the current person that fired the event get the event on the client side and other little tricky situations like that. And I thought the client side API could be a lot better than having to sort of manually um, use the Pusher SDK every time. It could all be kind of integrated a little tighter. And so uh, with Echo, it's basically two parts. It's improvements to the existing uh, broadcasting stuff, which adds improvements to the PHP layer with like a channel authentication is more streamlined using a new uh, broadcast auth method. Um, it automatically handles the whole um, don't broadcast this back to myself thing. And then the second part is an NPM uh, JavaScript package, Laravel Echo, which uh, gives you a better client side API for dealing with the JavaScript side of listening for events, connecting to pusher, um, and all of that stuff, joining presence channels like you would use for a, a chat room or who's else viewing this uh, ticket or whatever. So those kind of two parts sort of combine to flesh out the whole event broadcasting thing. And I think gets it to where I always wanted it to be, um, to feel a lot more integrated and cohesive. And when I originally wrote Echo, I just wrote it for Pusher because I didn't really know how to implement channel level authentication in Socket.io because it's not offered out of the box. 
And, but we actually already have a pull request adding full uh, Redis and Socket IO support um, to the Echo stuff with you know compatible JavaScript API and all that. So it looks like it could be um, you know available for both Pusher and uh, Redis slash Socket IO now, which is cool. Nice. Yeah. So if you, um, it's funny because Echo came out. Echo came out before, but I didn't. I watched the Echo video uh, the day after I finished writing the section of my book about um, event broadcasting. And so it was kind of really fresh in my mind. So I think I was more primed to see the value of Echo at that point. Because what I'd done is basically written, written, okay, here's the things that event broadcasting, you know, offer to you. And if, you, if you're not familiar with it, event broadcasting in Laravel essentially allows you to take any event that you publish or fire. Um, so we're talking about like a capital E event in Laravel and, and mark it as one that should be broadcast. And if you set your configuration settings right, um, every time you broadcast it, it broadcasts uh, an event through either Pusher or Socket.io with the name of that event as the name, and then you can also pass some data along with it. And so you have the opportunity to do things like, um, you know, new, you know, whatever, uh, user subscribed event, right? And then maybe all the admins in your system, if they're logged in, they'll get a notification via Pusher that says, hey, you got a new user subscription, and here's the data payload, including telling you what their name is and their email and how much money you made from them or something like that. But while event broadcasting built in the basics, you had to worry about things like, you know, assu- assuring that somebody didn't get their own event broadcast to them or, assure, you know, in certain contexts or doing authentication. There's all these other things that are very common. And so all those things that Taylor listed off are basically the things that the majority of people using event broadcasting and just using Pusher in general at, to any kind of significant degree would have had to build from scratch every time, right? And so this is just one more thing where there's a series of tools where now you don't build them from scratch. There's now it's kind of built into the core. And I asked you this before, but I forgot your answer. Is Echo going to seem kind of like a separate project or is it more like Elixir where it may have its own GitHub repo, but it's really going to kind of come bundled out of the box? The PHP side is bundled out of the box. And then if you want to use it, you can just NPM install the uh, Laravel Echo javascript library okay. and i'm not sure if that will really be included in the package.json by default or if that will just be an instruction on the documentations to run npm install save laravel echo um right so, but it'll be so easy to pull in it won't yeah. really matter yeah it's super easy yeah it's getting to the point you have so many of these little add-on tools i, I wonder how you organize it like i'm looking at the documentation i don't see anything about echo or or socialite um yeah, I would imagine a lot of people just don't even know these exist, really. Yeah, like Echo will be under the event uh, documentation where it has the broadcasting event stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it will. It does get a little tricky to know, like, what do you emphasize and, and what do you not? Like, I know with uh, Socialite, if you go to authentication, the social authentication link at the top takes you basically just straight to the Socialite repo where all the docs are. Oh, live. good. Um, so yeah, it's kind of tricky to decide like what actually lives in the framework by default. I'm not sure if Laravel Echo, the JavaScript library side really, really pulled in by default, but I think of course the PHP side is just part of the event broadcasting. So it will be there. Cool. Um, so another thing that's coming on up, Laracon is very soon. Now are, are tickets still available for Laracon? I know you're getting close. Yeah. Tickets are still available. They are getting pretty high up there though. Um, I think we're approaching mm-hmm. like 500 people, which last year there was 500 people or so, give or take 15 or 20 in the building, and it felt really full. The theater th- yeah, theater did. supposedly sits like 600, but it's really hard to believe that there were 100 empty seats last year. It felt 
really full. But so anyway, yeah, if people are thinking about coming now, would probably be the time to get them because they are selling pretty fast here. I probably will cut it off a little early, you know, because we don't want to have anyone standing um, just to be safe, mm-hmm. you know, that everyone can get a seat. But yeah, the speaker lineup is pretty much finalized and looked good. We've announced uh, Ben Ramsey, I think we've announced since we talked last. Um, and he's going to be speaking on HTTP2, which is which is nice because Valet and Forge both use HTTP2 di- by default. So if you're not familiar with that, there's a lot of cool stuff that goes in with HTTP2. And the talk is uh, really informative and covers a lot of that cool stuff. And then, of course, we have... Uh, Evan, the creator of View, I'll be there. Adam, uh, Chuck Reeves was announced, I think, since we talked last. Um, he's going to be talking about sort of um, project estimation and how we're really bad at it and ways you can be a lot better at uh, estimating how long it's going to take you to finish your projects. Um, so, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of cool speakers, lots of good Laravel talks, uh, PHP talks. I think it's going to be more – it's definitely more technical than last year in terms of talks, where last year it was sort of 50-50 in terms of, quote, uh, soft talks and technical talks. But this year, I think it's all fairly technical talks. So if you're interested in code and technical things, this is definitely a good conference for you to come to. Yeah, it looks good. And I'm looking at the speaker list right now. There's a lot of new people who, who really haven't ever been to a Laracon, mm-hmm. like uh, Evan Yu, the creator of Vue, Jason McCreary, the guy who makes uh, Laravel Shift. So um, Machuga is back. Yeah, there's lots of good stuff here. Should be a good conference. And I like the including a special guest appearance by Jeffrey Way. I, mean, I don't know what, what is it that is. Crap? But that, That's so embarrassing. That picture, that picture makes me think of like a high school. <laughs> I, I, I like the high school senior picture kind of thing. Like I like it, especially <laughs> with that little tint over it. It's good. Tony, you like the vest um, too? God, it's so bad. Oh, I didn't even notice it was a vest. That's even better now. <laughs> yeah, it's not really <laughs> a vest, it's just a but V-neck it's, it's a V-neck oh, okay. bordering on. Oh, vest. nothing wrong with the V-neck, man. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't, don't, don't hate. Uh, so Laracon.us, uh, and it's going to be July 27th through 29th in, uh, is it Louisville, 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 Louisville. not Louisville, not Louisville. That's all I know. Um, and, uh, I've said this a thousand times, but that, oh no, I can't remember the name of it. That one coffee shop. There's a coffee shop. Every Sinergo. time this Sinergo. name coffee shop has I know. to come up. Like nothing stands out to me more about the city of Louisville <laughs> than this coffee shop. I'm going to like get all these people going there and they're like, Matt, it was just kind of good coffee. I don't know. I don't know if I just wasn't expecting good coffee there and I got it. But anyway. Wasn't um, it Hein, is it cool. Hein Brothers? Isn't that it? I don't know. Hein, Heine Brothers? I don't know. So that's Lyricon. Okay, 5.3 release schedule. So we're a little bit off our six every six months release schedule, but we kind of talk about this on the regular basis that we don't really kind of end up constrained to a particular re- release date. It really kind of comes down to when it feels feature complete. So 5.3 is not out, but it's coming out sometime in the near-ish future. Taylor, can you tell us what your plans are there, as much as you're saying publicly at least? Yeah, 5.3 should be out this month, I think, um, or early July. We usually, I mean, Symphony 3.1 just came out the other day, two days ago, maybe, I think. And it's usually seems like about a month after that comes out that we end up releasing. Just gives us time to sort of like put final polish on things and finish up um, documentation and stuff once Symphony is finalized. And uh, yeah, but it should be within the next, you know, four to eight weeks, let's say, to be generous. And uh, it's a pretty cool release. I mean, it's not a huge... uh, paradigm shifting release in terms of breaking changes is a pretty easy upgrade but it also has some really cool new features um you know like echo and um 
better uh, the database query uh, fluent. I can't think of the word for it. The fluent query builder um, returns collections and stuff now by default, just like Eloquent. So it's more consistent sort of across the board on that side. Um, it's just a nice little release. Got good stuff, good queue improvements um, to, you know, fort child processes for the daemon queue workers so that they don't freeze up if they run for too long or whatever. So lots of good improvements that should improve sort of the overall experience of the framework and polishes up some stuff that, you know, has kind of bugged me for a little while. But yeah, I think it's going to be a fun release. Nice. And I, I didn't realize that uh, Symphony 3.1 just came out. I don't know why I was expecting it in April. So we're not actually behind any kind of schedule. We're really kind of on 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 pace per usual. So um, so I had mentioned something to you guys that I wanted us to chat about real quick. Um, I've had quite a few folks come to me um, asking Titan to do a project and saying, um, you know, oh, and we've heard about Spark. Maybe Spark would be a good fit for this. And, and often, you know, it's it's a context in which Spark isn't a good fit. Uh, and that's not always true. Sometimes it is good fit. But I realized that it might be valuable for us to just have a conversation real quick about what is kind of Spark offering and what is it not offering. And maybe it, not to say that we can say, well, this is the definitive guide of which project it should and should not work for. But maybe just can we talk about what is it that Spark is really kind of offering? What's like its value prop or whatever you want to call it? What's the elevator pitch for Spark in a way that we can help people have a better understanding of? When is and isn't it a good fit? And I think my first question might be to, to kind of throw to the group is, um, is it for new projects? Is it for old projects? And then maybe the next one would be like, what type of project is is a really kind of a prime example of something that'd be a great fit for it? And are there any easy ways where we can say, you know, this type of project would definitely not be a good fit? Yeah, I think that it's mainly for new projects. Um, I don't want to say it's for old projects. There's no guide or documentation on how to integrate that with old projects. So it's for new projects that, you know, you could ask yourself, does my project have a few different plans that users can subscribe to either monthly or user or yearly? Does it have like, for example, like a $20 plan, a $30 plan, and people pay every month via Stripe or Braintree? If yes, then probably you should look at Spar because that's sort of the use case it's meant to handle. Like, you know, Envoy or Forge type apps where you sign up, you pay monthly, and you use some service. That's what Spark is built for. It's not really, um, I'm trying to think of an example that would be a really bad uh, app to use Spark on. Do you have one, Matt? What if people ask you that it just was not Spark at I'm all? I'm trying to think about one. Of the, I think one of them was a, was a web store type thing. And they're like, oh, well, it has Stripe and it has, you know, you might want to set up a user account to check out. But it's, it was, there's no recurring information. There's no subscriptions that has very kind of strong e-commerce vibe. So that's not, a, that's not really a fit, right? No, that's not really what it's geared for. Now, you can use Spark in different ways. So like you could totally disable Spark's billing and just use it for authentication, scaffolding, setting scaffolding with the user profile and profile picture, password reset, two-factor authentication, all that. You could just use that aspect of Spark, I guess, if you wanted to. And it's easy to do that, but it's really geared towards things that have sort of monthly or yearly recurring billing, not really um, shops like a Magento shop or a Shopify shop or something like that. And I think uh, one of the other things we've got from folks is where they weren't even selling anything at all, but they kind of saw uh, Spark as like maybe the next step or the next evolution in Laravel's kind of like the auth scaffold and that that basic kind of stuff as if it was going to give those superpowers. And it, what I hear you saying, it, you could use it in that way, right? Like you could just choose to do your, you know, your teams and your settings panes with it, but that's kind of not the target. And And that actually kind of leads me to my next question, which is, 
let's say someone wanted, you know, some of the backend features that you get, you know, like some of the billing stuff and stuff like that, but did not want to use Vue at all and didn't want to use any of the views and didn't want to use Bootstrap. Um, do you think you would make a case for someone still using Spark just for the backend? Um, or is it really kind of make the most sense when you're using both Spark's backend and frontend? I, th- I think it makes the most sense if you're using the whole package. Um, I mean, especially on the Bootstrap side, I feel like it's it's really geared, or it's, I'm really talking about the settings pages, like ripping Bootstrap and Vue out of those settings pages on Spark, where you can go to settings and update your profile information. That's going to be pretty difficult. Using you can use whatever you want for like your main app. You know that's not really that hard to customize. You don't have to use Vue or right. Bootstrap for the main portion of your app, but you're still gonna ha- probably have to use Bootstrap and Vue for the setting screens. I mean, I know for a fact you're basically going to have to. So if you're comfortable with only using Bootstrap on those and using something different for your main app, that's fine. But I, I think it, don't think it's going to be realistic to totally rip out uh, Bootstrap and Vue. And you sort of have to have those opinions when you build something like Spark. Like it's just impossible to build in an unopinionated way. Is that's the whole gist of the product? Yeah, is, for sure. Here's really strong opinions to get you started really quickly. Um, so if, if that doesn't work for you, you know that it kind of stinks because it's a lot of code actually to write by hand. But um, you know, it's just kind of how it goes with that kind of product. And honestly, I think opinions are better. I, I don't know about you guys, but what I find is like whenever I use a tool where it pushes for that no opinions, the further it pushes, the less it's enjoyable to work with. So sometimes by allowing them to to put some in, some opinions into it, it just makes it easier to work with. There's better um, conventions to follow. I don't know. I yeah. always prefer it. Some people have really strong opinions on their front end stuff and some people just don't care, you know, so it just depends on which kind of person you are. If you're someone that's just really sold out on a certain front end framework um, or a certain CSS library, then it, and it's not bootstrap review, then it might not be your, your favorite product in the world. Yeah, I think that's a really helpful set of clarifications. One of them being if it's not a, a regular subscription, it might not be a good fit. Another one being uh, if you're not willing to have at least your settings pages be bootstrap and view, it might not be a good fit. Um, and, you know, anything's flexible, but uh, all these things are kind of helping give a little bit of an answer. Because I think like when you're selling the features, like everybody wants the features that it provides. But we got to also talk about some of the the opinions that come along with it to help you understand which of your projects will be a good fit and which won't. And I, I, it seems to me like the number one kind of dream project that that would use Spark the best is a new software as a service um, application that is going to offer monthly subscriptions that doesn't have any code written yet. Um, and that, you know, you're just trying to get it moving fast and you're willing to basically like have the settings page be in bootstrap and either your app is in bootstrap or you, you're, you're comfortable with the fact that the settings page might look a little different. If that's what you're building, like that is the number one prime use case for it. Does that sound right, Taylor? Yeah, that sounds exactly right. And in that situation, Spark is going to be extremely helpful. Um, because it's going to give you such a boost for such a low cost. And it's kind of the stuff that just bogs you down in that situation where you don't have any code written and you're starting from scratch with a new SaaS app. Like this is the stuff, the stuff Spark does is the stuff that will discourage you from finishing your project because it's just tedious and time consuming. So yeah, that's a good situation to use it. Cool. And of course, if you're using Bootstrap and Vue in your application, that would make it even easier. So. All right. Well, uh, before we close it out, I have one last question for you guys. Um, what is the best kind of nut? And by that, I mean, not only what is the best nut, but is it smoked, salted, raw, roasted? 
whatever all the different options are. So I think the correct answer is just simple honey roasted peanuts are kind of crazy to me. Yeah, I agree that the peanut and especially like if you can combine the peanuts with like a nice ice cold Coke or something like that, that's like the perfect setup, I feel like. As long as I don't have to worry about my health, uh, honey roasted peanuts will be it. Because I've got, you know, I've got a thing of raw almonds on my desk here, you know. So, like, if I'm talking about, oh, blah, blah, blah. But if I can ignore all of that, I want all the flavor you can give me. Roast it, salt it, honey it, you know, give it, you know, make it fatty. I don't care. And yeah, peanuts might be it, man. I was thinking it might be something weird like a, like a, I don't know, a macadamia nut or something like that. But I think all those other nuts are best in a trail mix. But if you want it on your own, honey roasted peanut, that's it. We have a consensus. Yeah, done. That was easy. Well, thanks, gentlemen. As always, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I look forward to picking up uh, back in a normal schedule. And um, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you all later. 